Welcome to Off The Record. I'm your host, Marika, and I'm a dietitian, nutritionist, and recovering perfectionist. Join me each week as I bring you raw and real conversations with inspiring men and women discussing matters in health and nutrition that are often swept under the rug. Sit back, relax, pour yourself a cup of coffee or a wine, and enjoy learning from conversations that help us to understand the messiness of what it means to be a healthy and balanced human. Hey everyone and welcome back to another episode of Off The Record. Today I am joined by Lottie DL who is a sustainability advocate and the founder of Banish.com.au which is both an online educational platform and an online store which specializes in all things sustainability. Now today's conversation is obviously about sustainability and so what I really wanted to hone in on is how can we make some small and sustainable for us steps towards living a little bit better for the planet Um, but also why that is so important. The other thing that we talk about is breaking down some of the misconceptions around living sustainably uh, and also how to avoid the trap of perfectionism when it comes to creating a sustainable lifestyle. If you haven't already, don't forget to hit subscribe or follow on your favorite podcasting platform so that you don't miss out on any of our weekly episodes. Otherwise, let's dive on in. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode. Today, I am joined by Lottie DL, and Lottie is here to talk to us about uh, sustainability and climate change. Now, I have a little bit of a backstory um, about how I randomly met Lottie many, many years ago. Um, Lottie has actually studied nutrition and dietetics. Is that right as well? No, just nutrition and media actually together. Amazing. Amazing. And so we met, I think it was in one of the jobs that I was doing, one of my new grad jobs as a dietitian. Um, You're doing some work experience or a a placement there. Uh, And that was in Brisbane. Oh, I'm going to say like seven years ago. It's uh, way too long ago. Way, way too long. (laughs) And here we are doing a podcast together on sustainability. So your career has, um, I guess, moved a bit away from nutrition. So firstly, can you tell us a little bit about you and what you do? Yeah, no worries. So yeah, I was, I did study nutrition and media at university, which led me to a career in journalism. So I was working at Women's Health and Men's Health magazine, which kind of was pretty much the only career that I could think of that would join those two very random um, degrees together. And when I was working there, I was actually assigned with the task of doing Mark Wahlberg's daily routine. And I'm not sure how much you know about that, Marika, but it's pretty crazy and pretty weird. So he wakes up at 4am every day and then he meditates for I think like an hour. He prays and then he works out for like an hour and a half. And I don't know about you, but I try to meditate, but there is no way I can get to an hour. I'm not religious, so I couldn't pray. And then I couldn't physically work out for an hour and a half without passing out before work. So I woke up at 4am and pretty much was like sitting there twiddling my thumbs being like, well, what am I meant to do right now? I'm meant to be living Mark Wahlberg's day life, but I don't really know what to do. So I was like, you know what? It had just been, um, I think it was February. So I just made a stack of great news resolutions. And one of them was to be better to the planet or do better when it came to the environment. I didn't really know what that meant it wasn't a smart goal or anything like that but I just knew that when it came to the environment that I could do more um so I'd started researching into that and looking into how I could just do better 
And what it kind of led me to, I was was about to have a smoothie for breakfast and I was like, okay, great. So normally I'd throw in a plastic straw. So how could I get rid of that plastic straw and what would I replace it with? And I kind of went down into this huge, big rabbit hole because when you typed into Google replacement for plastic straw, there were so many different options. There were so many different conflicting um, answers. There was no real kind of shining light of reliability for somebody on how to do better and made it easier. So in the end, I ended up finally after I think literally like an hour of researching and looking into like the energy inputs and kind of the end of life use I started decided on a stainless steel straw and then I <laughs> I love that that was the outcome of like hours of research oh so stupid but so me as well so ridiculous so then I had to do all of this research into finding the best stainless steel straw supplier in Australia again it took me like 45 minutes to find like literally it was so ridiculous thought I found the right one, ordered five online. They arrived a couple of days later and each and every one of them was wrapped individually in plastic. And I was just like, well, what is the point? Why have I just spent two precious hours at 4am in the morning researching, thinking I was purchasing from a sustainable store and then just to wind up kind of creating more plastic? It just didn't really make sense. And it kind of, it really frustrated me And it got me pretty angry. I'm not an angry person. But then at the same time, I was just like, people, if they, if we want people to reduce their waste and we want them to live better, it needs to be so easy that there's no reason not to. And I was like, I just saw an opportunity. I was like, well, I've got this great journalism background. I've been used to kind of digesting really chunky nutrition articles and fitness articles and making them consumable or make them making them digestible for the everyday consumer so why couldn't I do that from a sustainability standpoint because there was no one doing it out there and then also on the other hand I looked at all of these amazing suppliers that I would eventually find who were doing a great thing but they didn't know how to market themselves to mass audiences and I was like well hang on I could do that I could create this space so that was really how Banish was born and it kind of, yeah, it made me pivot from the health and nutrition industry to sustainability. But in a lot of what I do, I bring it back to the same principles as health and fitness because like starting your sustainability journey is very similar to starting a new diet or a new lifestyle. Like if you were to say, okay, I'm going to become a vegan, I'm never going to drive my car again, I'm going to never use plastic, I'm going to go palm oil free in my whole entire house it wouldn't be sustainable. You'd fall off the bandwagon. You wouldn't, you'd give up after a couple of days. And I feel like that's very same when it, it's very similar when it comes to health and fitness. So I think there's been a lot that I've bought in, like that I've learned in that industry and a lot in particular in the psychology and the like behavior changes that I'm able to then apply when it comes to sustainability. Yeah, I love that. And I think that the thing that um, a lot of people are turned off by when it comes to sustainability is similar to what you're saying about diet and nutrition is that it's like, well, I have to change everything all at once. And if I don't, then I'm failing. And it's like, well, what happened to taking steps? Like, why can't we (laughs) just do little things and like work on constantly improving? We don't have to be this perfect, you know, like Byron Bay sustainable hipster (laughs) straight away. Exactly. And I, I'm the exact same. Like I'll have some weeks where I'll go to the shops and I might forget my reusable produce bag. So I end up buying things in plastic, but it doesn't mean that I get home and I give up altogether. It's just like, that's just life. Or I'll, at the moment, because of COVID, I can't use my reusable coffee cup everywhere, but it doesn't mean that I give up. It just means that I'll make a different sustainable swap somewhere else. 
Mm. Can I ask a question? This is a bit off topic, but like, what do you experience personally any um, like shame or stigma towards yourself around making those choices? Because as somebody with an online presence, what I found is whenever I do make choices that are not necessarily um, the best thing aligned for the planet. So for example, like you said, the coffee cups, that's something that um, I get pulled up on a lot, you know, with COVID at the moment, there's not a lot of places aren't doing reusable or aren't letting you use reusable coffee cups. Is that something that you experience being like, you know, well and truly in this journey and, you know, doing as much as you possibly can to look after the planet and, you know, help us with climate change? Do you still experience that? I'm actually quite lucky in particular on Instagram, I think, because I've always been very honest and very open about the fact that I still do use plastic. Um, So I don't really experience that much shame from it. If anything, I get probably the most engagement when I post a photo with a plastic coffee cup saying like, well, this sucks. There was no other choice, but I had to use that because people go, yes, that that's me too. I try my best, but sometimes you can't do it all the time. So I think on Instagram, I'm really fortunate to have such a supportive community. Recently joined TikTok. But and I think probably because the TikTok audience doesn't really know me personally as much yet. And I find it a bit harder to connect with them because you don't have stories. You've only got videos. So I think with them, I do sometimes get people saying like, well, you said hashtag quit plastic. And then like, you're still using plastic in some of your other videos. So I think it's just more about an education around it. But I'm pretty thick skinned and don't really take it personally because at the end of the day, people can be like, oh, well, you use that one piece of plastic, but my whole entire life is now dedicated towards living more sustainably and helping other people do that. So yeah, I don't really let it get to me. Exactly. You can't, yeah, you can't let that <laughs> penetrate your skin. Exactly. <laughs> um, so tell us a bit more about Banish. So Banish is an online store, is that correct? Yeah. So it's an online store and education platform. So it kind of pairs the two of them. So I use my journalism background to write articles, create videos, create content that helps people reduce their waste and live more sustainably. But at the same time, I help people or I help businesses and small businesses in particular market themselves with one another to kind of create this, I don't know, this force for good, I like to call it. Because the issue with, I don't know how much you know about the e-commerce world, but the thing is brands, what they want to do is they want to create this warm and fuzzy feeling. So you might see, I don't know, a protein brand, for example, and you're like, yes, I've used them before. They're great. They're amazing. So I'm going to use them again, which is amazing. And you keep on going back and you might sign up to their email database and you might follow them on social media and everything like that because you need new protein every couple of months. But when it comes to reusable products, Theoretically, if you buy something like a menstrual cup or a razor, you won't need to buy another one for five or six years. So there's no real point in having that relationship with a brand. You don't really want to follow them on social media to see the latest release because you've got one, so you don't need to replace it. So my whole thing was, why don't we pair all of these small Australian businesses together so they can come to the store to buy a reusable razor and they might buy some beeswax wraps again. They they have a great feeling. They have this great experience and they go, hang on, I got educated. So I have that kind of brand, I don't know, loyalty to Banish. And then also I can go there and I can know that there's credibility behind every single item. I know that there is going to be no parabens, no palm oil, no plastic packaging, all of these 
suppliers have been vetted by Banish, so you don't have to spend an hour and a half at 4am in the morning researching to find the best option. So that was kind of the thought process behind creating this amazing marketplace, if I might say so myself. You're so allowed to say so. (laughs) So we've got 500 products now from over 50 Australian suppliers and it's just amazing because as as my journey evolves and develops, so does the store. Because to start with, it was kind of like, okay, I finished with my shampoo bottles. What's a sustainable swap? Okay, it's a shampoo bar. The next one would be, okay, I need to replace my razor. How do I do that? And now it's just grown and grown and grown. So that's really what banishes. And then we also launched a recycling program called Brad at the end of last year. And that was really inspired because... I had gotten to the point where I was recycling, I was reducing my waste, I was doing everything that I could. But at the end of the week, when it came to bin day, I was still taking out rubbish and it was the same things. And I was going, well, hang on, how can we recycle these items? There has to be a way to recycle things like blister packs, beauty products, toothpaste tubes, things that no matter how sustainable we are, we're still going to have. So the reason why I created Brad was to help products from going to the wrong pit so it's kind of named after Brad Pitt so it's the banish recycling and disposal program yeah it's hilarious um so now people send things to Brad and we recycle them for them and then they get a $15 voucher to spend at banish to reduce their waste so it's kind of like send us your plastic razors and then we will give you that $15 voucher to put towards buying a reusable razor that's so incredible well done that's awesome thank you um, so can I ask a, a challenging question now? Why sustainability? What What's the importance of sustainability? Why should we all be caring about this? I think the reason why we should be caring about this is because if we want there to be a future, we've got really no choice. There is like we are the generation that has to make change. We're the generation that has knows the statistics, knows the facts, can see what is going on and has to actively make a change. If we look at our parents and our grandparents' generation, they weren't armed with this much information. They didn't understand the impacts that we were having on the planet. But now we're starting to see that. We're starting to see the scientific studies that are coming out that are saying that the average Australian eats five grams of microplastics each week. So credit cards worth of plastic each week we're now consuming. So why would we just not do anything about that? Why would we just go, great, let's chop it up and sprinkle it on our muesli and kind of kickstart the day? Like I think we need to make make change and make actions and I think it doesn't fall onto each and every, it falls on each and every one of us to do something. We don't have to do it all. You don't have to completely change your life like I have, but you just have to make a couple of small changes because, I yeah, there's no real, there's no reason why we shouldn't. I agree. And I think there's there's no future if if we don't, which is a really sort of depressing thing to say, but we need to be doing something. And I really like how you said, like, we don't all have to be doing what you're doing. Like you're, what you're doing is amazing um, and incredible. But I think for a lot of people that is just so unsustainable. And, you know, maybe that is somewhere where we could get to one day, but it's like, it's setting the bar pretty high. If people were to think that, you know, we could all be like you, um, you know, tomorrow or next week or even you know, next month, next year. Um, So, yeah, I really do love your approach with that. The other thing that I think it really interests me or sort of grabbed my attention when I was looking at some of the research around this was my partner and I were actually having a discussion the other day and we were talking about climate change and population growth. 
And we were looking at some of the statistics in terms of population growth in Australia and globally as well. And we were both so mind blown by population growth. Like I've I've never looked into the actual numbers and I haven't actually got them on me, but the, I guess the speed at which our population is growing is phenomenal. And obviously we only have so much space, so many resources, and each and every person is contributing so much to plastics, to um, food consumption, to everything like electricity, water, all of that. And when I saw that number, and again, I wish I had, I'm going to have to find it and I'll put it in the show notes, but the number of like population growth, I think it was from the seventies till now, it was like, I think it's over doubled or tripled or something like that. I was like, this is not sustainable. What happens in another 30 years time? Exactly. But it's also like you have population growth, obviously, but you've also got an increase in consumerism. We Mm -hmm. consume so much more than we did in the 70s. We're consuming more fashion, more products, more absolutely everything. Like we're driving more, we're flying more, we're doing everything more. So it's not only the increased growth, but it's also that increased consumerism. So it is absolutely astounding and there's a lot of people who are in this sustainability industry who are actually saying that they won't have children purely because of that oh my god wow yeah I think Miley Cyrus might have come out and said she's not going to have kids because of the environment actually somebody did ask me on social media recently um it was a bit it felt like a loaded question it was like are you going to bring children into this world and I was like oh (laughs) okay wow um but no I I can can see why people would want to make that decision obviously it's a very individual decision um but yeah a very interesting uh, a very interesting sort of thing to think about in terms of climate change and health do you know much around the statistics around how climate change is impacting our individual health or any sort of thoughts or ways that it could be yeah, so in Australia, we're actually probably one of the countries that's experiencing the most. Um, third world countries definitely experience the health impacts of climate change more than any in the world. Um, but in Australia, because of things like the bushfires, for example, we saw a huge impact on physical well-being and health. If you like remember the amount of smog in the air. I was living with a girl who was an asthmatic and I'd have to drive to the train station every afternoon to pick her up because she couldn't walk the five minutes down the road. There are some huge impacts that are happening. We saw a lot in India with the giant heat waves that they had. They had a lot of death because of that because there was no way to efficiently cool people. There is a lot happening when it comes to climate change and health. I think it was the World Health Organization has said that climate change is the biggest, um, the single most threat to human beings in the next, I think it was 20 years, 30 years. And it's something as well, I don't think we really consider that much and we don't think about because you, a lot of the messaging and a lot of the marketing is around like, oh, there's lots of plastic in the sea, help save the animals, help doing that. But I think if you look at the impacts of living more sustainably and how it often aligns with being healthier as well, it's hard not to really make a change. Yeah, I agree. I think that if you, I guess you got to find what motivates you to make a change. And if being healthier motivates you to make a change for that's better for the environment, then that's amazing. And the flip side is true as well. If, you know, looking after the environment helps you to be a healthier person, um, then that's also a great outcome for both the planet and yourself. Um, can we make a difference on our own though? Does, you know, obviously we can make a difference to our own individual health and well-being, but in terms of the planet and climate change, can one person really make a difference? 
I think that individuals together can make a huge difference. And I think I'm asked this question a lot because people feel disheartened. They feel like as one person remembering to use their reusable cup, it isn't really going to make a difference in the long run. But my argument towards that is that you are leading by example and you're inspiring other people in that coffee line to ask a barista next time to use a reusable cup or when you go to your local major supermarket and you buy loose vegetables, for example, over the ones wrapped in plastic, you're showing that major supermarket that you want your consumer dollars to go towards buying plastic-free produce, for example. So I think there's a lot to be said in our purchasing power, in our behaviours, in our political choices, in everything like that. We can make a huge difference. Like if people thought that I was just one person and I couldn't make any change, then we wouldn't be anywhere. Like I'm not meaning to toot my own horn, but I've completely changed my whole life in the past six months. We've kept almost two tonnes of plastic out of landfill because of just one person wanting to make a change. There is so much that we can do. And I think my biggest piece of advice for people when they feel like they're just one person and that they're not really making a difference is to surround yourself with others who feel like they can together make a big change. I think if you look at yourself, like when I wanted to swap to a menstrual cup, I was petrified. So I got my best friend on board and together we did it. And then it didn't really feel as scary and as daunting and oh my it God, just... I, on that note, I had a mortifying experience with menstrual cups and I'm, I've turned myself off them. So we'll have to talk about more this <laughs> later. <laughs> Great. More than happy to offer lots of advice because they <laughs> yeah, freaked me out. But I think <laughs> at the end of the day, when it comes to like living sustainably, I don't want to be really that negative, but it's kind of like putting your head in the sand going like, I can't make a change. I'm just one person. I can't do anything. If we all were like that, then we'd be a pretty sad society. We wouldn't have any inspiring leaders. We wouldn't have anybody to turn to, which is why I think we're seeing teenagers and young people leading the charge because they have this naivety towards the amount of impact that they can have. And in being so brave and in being so bold, they are making so much change and they are walking into the UN and saying like, we want change and we want this because adults would go, oh no, I couldn't possibly do that. So I think that's just another way to look at it is even if you're inspired by the younger generation, it's just to kind of get out there and not be afraid and yeah, just have a go. Yeah. And I think I always come back to with matters like this is, so for example, like, you know, when women's rights was sort of starting to up and come, it was just one or two people sort of, you know, Rosa Parks was probably not thinking that she was going to make a difference by refusing to give up her seat. There's so many things that, you know, one person, yeah, like it doesn't seem like it's going to make a difference, but one person time after time after time again creates a movement and a movement, it might take 40 years for that movement to to make a difference. But if not every individual along the way said, no, I'm not going to do that today or I'm going to do this today, then collectively, like you said, that does make a big difference. And I would say the same for like body image and um, some of the transformations, transformation is probably not the right word, but transformation we're trying to, we're starting to see um, in the media around that is that it's literally one person after the next saying, no, that's not okay. No, we can't do that. And we are slowly over the last sort of 15 years now starting to see a change in the media's portrayal of a healthy body um, and what that actually looks like. And I think that the same thing could probably be said for sustainability in that, you know, we just need to keep doing the things, even if they don't feel like 
that they're making a big difference right now because eventually it will become the norm. Exactly. And I think there is so much to be said for people. Like I listen to so many people saying like, write to your local member, talk to them about sustainability. And like, I probably say that's like a a gold standard when it comes to sustainability, but you can still do the bronze standard and remember your reusable cup and make a big difference. I don't think you need to go the whole hog and go all the way. You can just do something and it doesn't have to be as scary, but also you don't need to do what your best friend's doing. You don't need to compare yourself to the next person. Again, it comes to health and fitness. You don't follow the same diet as your next door neighbor and expect the same results. Look at your own personal impact and just choose something that you want to work on. And then all of a sudden that'll be a habit and then you can build on the next one. So can you give us some examples of, I guess, some beginning steps? And like you said, there's obviously going to be a variety of things, but could you give us some examples of beginning steps that people who have never really um, cared much about their impact on the environment or maybe are aware that they are having an impact but don't really know what to do? What are some first steps that people might be able to make? Yes. So really don't like being prescriptive because again, it's like health and nutrition and you don't want to like tell everybody that I don't know, cut out fat or something like that, which isn't sustainable. Um, but I would probably say the first thing is just to do the easiest thing for you. Do it. It, it might be using a reusable coffee cup. It might be remembering a reusable water bottle, for example, something like that, that you use every day making that sustainable switch is going to be a really big impactful one. Um, I think probably as a little mini challenge for your audience would be really interesting for them to have a go at having as, I wouldn't say a plastic free shop, but a plastic less shop. So try and reduce the amount of plastic in one grocery shop that you do and just have a go, see how, like set yourself a bit of a fun game. And when you're buying, say for example, pasta, buy a box of pasta over one in a plastic packet buy the loose vegetables over a bag of carrots, buy, I don't know, I'm trying to think of some other things that you could do. You could buy like a jar of peanut butter rather than buying a plastic bottle of peanut butter. So just have a go at doing things like that. But when you get to the checkout and you've still got plastic, then don't worry about it. It's fine. You've done your bit. You've done as much as you could. And then next week you're going to be even better than you were the week before. So I think those are probably two things that I would start with would be, yeah, swapping to something reusable rather than using a single use item and then trying to have a less plastic shop would be just kind of two simple starting points. But then the third one would probably be when you finish something in the next month, be it a bottle of shampoo or I don't know, a body wash or something like that, try and make a switch to something that's more sustainable. It could be your washing soap in the in the kitchen as well. It could be anything. I think that's the biggest thing is I don't want people to go into their bathroom, for example, and throw out every single plastic bottle that they've got in there. But when you finish something, then go, okay, well, now how can I make this a more sustainable switch? Mm. Yeah, that's a great way to think about it. And um, I think the other thing that for me, obviously being in the nutrition space that I see as a really good way for people to begin is start to think about their food waste as well. Do you think that food waste plays a role in climate change or in sustainability? It is huge. Food waste is a huge issue. So one of the statistics, well, there's a couple that I could rattle off, but one of them is that if food waste were a country, it would be the third largest emitter of greenhouse gases after the US and China. 
So pretty much what happens is when your food waste, so say, for example, I don't know, you make too much pasta, you throw it in the bin, you forget about some bananas and some spinach, throw it in the bin. That goes to landfill and when it sits next to pieces of plastic or what have you in landfill, it emits a toxic greenhouse gas and that is what goes into our ozone layers. So it's another huge impact when it comes to climate change. And so ways that you can reduce food waste is there are just so many ways, but it also comes down to being organized. If mm. you're a food prepper, that is one of the easiest ways to reduce your food waste. I like to have at least one week every month where I don't actually go to the grocery store and I just shop from my pantry. And I look in my pantry, I look in my freezer, I look in the bottom of the darkest corner of my crisper and I use things up because it's absolutely amazing like especially I'm definitely a culprit that shops hungry and I will come home with like literally half the supermarket so it's like well how can I actually put this to use and yeah not have to throw anything out and I also think another way to turn it so people aren't just kind of thinking about the sustainable way to do it and why they shouldn't be food waste they shouldn't waste food is also economics it is a huge economic cost it's something like over a thousand dollars per year we throw in the bin just from food waste so like come on guys start saving money (laughs) um and for me it's also laziness if I don't want to go to the shop I'm going to do exactly what you said and shop from my pantry from the bottom of my crisper I'm shopping from every little condiment that I can find to put some flavor together into a plate of food. Um, so yeah, I think that there's, there's so many benefits to reducing food waste. And, um, I also like the thing that I, when I learned a bit more about food waste that I was really not shocked by, because when I heard it, it didn't, it didn't shock me. It's just, I didn't ever put it into consideration was that, you know, it takes so much energy to produce food and it takes, you know, packaging and processing and transportation and all of this stuff that goes into producing food. Like we, we don't actually, we're so dissociated from our food these days that we don't really think about what has gone into that piece of meat or that vegetable or that uh, pasta or whatever it is. That was once a seed that a farmer had to plant and then a harvest and then you know, all of these things. And when you throw it out, you've also thrown out all of the energy that's gone into producing that as well. Exactly. And I think as well, like this was something that I had somebody DM me on Instagram last year, you know, when everybody was like the first, the first lockdown, everyone was like getting into gardening and growing their own vegetables and everything like that. And she actually DM me and she's like, oh my gosh, did you know that you only get one cauliflower head per plant? She's like, isn't that ridiculous? (laughs) This whole like plant grows just to produce one cauliflower head. And I was like, yeah, and you probably pay $1.50 or something ridiculous like that from at the supermarket for it. But then when you think about it and you've actually tried to grow that cauliflower from a seed, you understand all of the hard work that's gone into it. And I think it makes you appreciate it a lot more as well because you're kind of going, well, hang on, why would I do that? Like you said, it's all of that energy that's gone into it. But I also think another great thing that we're seeing people do now because they want to be more sustainable is they eat more of the vegetable. Like they're eating the cauliflower leaves, they're eating the stalks of the broccoli, which have got different nutrients, I'm sure, than the actual like florets themselves, you could call it. Um, But I think that's also a really big positive. We're seeing a lot more people make their own vegetable stock from scraps. Like there's all of this stuff that is kind of going back in time. It's doing things like what people used to do 50 years ago, which has a lot of health and nutrition benefits because you're getting more nutrients, but it also has a lot of planet benefits because we shouldn't be just willy-nilly throwing everything out. 
Yeah, and I think uh, having that um, insight into where your food comes from and how much effort it takes to produce, it does really make you, and this is probably not sustainability related, but it does really make you appreciate food and the process that it takes. And I think it then also in turn helps you be more mindful with your eating because you're like, oh, wow, like it took six months for this one cauliflower to grow and I just paid a dollar for it and I'm about to throw half of it in the bin um, or not actually sit there and enjoy it. You're just going to force yourself to eat it because it's a cauliflower. Like, Whereas I think that if we sort of appreciate the effort that goes into um, producing food, that it does make us more appreciative, not only of the food, but also of the, uh, I guess, the environmental impact of that food as well. And I saw on, I think it was TikTok um, or Instagram, I can't remember, a video the other day of a someone cooking one of those videos, like BuzzFeed style um, videos of cooking chicken. And what they were doing is they were cutting uh, the meat off a chicken drumstick and it, it looked a bit gross. Like I'm a bit turned off by meat in the first place. Like it's just not, ugh, it just makes me feel a bit gross, um, which is the point that I'm getting to is that there was a, um, a little uh, feather or hair or something stuck on the outside of this chicken. And all of the comments were about how disgusting this video was and how like there was a hair on it. And I was like, if you're not okay with the fact that your meat has come from an animal that has a feather, then stop eating it. Like if it, you're so turned off by the reality of what that meat is, because we're so dissociated from, like we just see the piece of chicken in the store. We don't think about the fact that it's actually come from an animal that has feathers and clucks and everything like that. And again, I, I don't think that the answer to the planet is everybody going vegan. I don't think that you need to cut out every single bit of meat ever. Um, but I think that if we, again, think about where our produce comes from, we can make choices that are much more aligned with how we're actually feeling. So for those people who are there going, oh, that's gross, like get rid of the feathers on the chicken. It's like, but that's how it comes. <laughs> exactly. And I think as well, it's just as well, if, if you are going to eat meat, it's thinking about the life that that animal has had to start with. It's like the whole rise of getting rid of caged eggs, for example, and shopping with happy chickens. Well, let's what what about the happy salmon? What about the happy beef? Like, let's roll that out across the the other industries because I think when it comes to it, you can look on the back of a packet of eggs, for example, and you can see how many hens there were per hectare, which not many people know. But when it comes to, say, for example, salmon or chicken or something like that, we don't really have much visibility on how happy that animal was before its impending death, which sounds really morbid <laughs> and really depressing. But I think that's also something to be conscious of as well is, like you said, it's not about everybody going vegan, but you need to be yeah comfortable with it. And it might mean as well you don't want to just throw that piece of meat straight in the bin you might freeze it and then use something like use it for something later on yeah. or use the whole animal is another thing as well is not wasting different parts of the animal it might be I don't know eating the shin bone which you wouldn't or like eating from the shin which is something that you wouldn't have normally done you loved rump steak or something like that it's about using the whole animal because at the end of the day, unfortunately, it has died and it is now having to be eaten. So let's not waste it. Mm. I always think that when you buy like the packets of like chicken drumsticks and there's like 20 drumsticks in this pack, I'm like, how many chickens died? Something I don't want to think yeah. of. <laughs> <laughs> um, moving away from death. 
um, onto something a little bit lighter. So actually it's probably not even that much lighter, but like microplastics, let's talk about microplastics. What are they? Um, you mentioned before that about five grams, I think you said that we're consuming a week. What are microplastics? Where are they found? What are the health impacts? Um, if you don't have the answers to these, don't worry, we can look into them later. Yeah. So yeah, as I mentioned before, we're eating five grams or a credit card worth of plastic each week in Australia. So that was a study that came out, I think it was two years ago. And pretty much what microplastics are, are they are tiny fragments of plastic that are smaller than five millimeters in size. So you can sometimes see them, but a lot of the time you can't actually see them. They enter our waterways in a whole in yeah, so many different ways. A lot of it is actually through washing our clothes. So if you have clothes that are made from polyester, which is a type of plastic, when you wash your clothes and it spins around and around and around, tiny baby fragments that you and I can't see actually break off and go down the drain and into our oceans. When we consume a lot of plastic water, uh, plastic bottles of water, baby fragments will often break off in that. Beer has been found to also have um, microplastics in it. Fish, so because obviously the fish are in the ocean, they're filtering the water. Um, they often have a lot of microplastics in them. So your piece of salmon also has microplastics in it. So there are a whole number of ways that we're actually consuming these microplastics. I don't really think there is a, micro, a microplastic-free diet out there in Australia because we're eating all of this stuff all of the time. So there was one of the probably the main reasons I actually stopped eating fish because to start with, I was like, I'm going to be pescatarian. That's better for the planet. And then when I read all of the statistics about how much plastic was actually in our fish, I went, okay, you know what? Not for me. I don't really want to be chopping that up and having it for dinner. So yeah, microplastics is a huge issue. There are a couple of solutions coming out. Um, they're trialing it in the Netherlands at the moment, actually putting this kind of filtration system on the back of washing machines to collect these fragments of plastic um, and then to filter them out so they don't enter our waterways. There are a couple of other um, different solutions that I haven't really found that effective as well, but things to reduce your microplastic consumption when it comes to washing is, for example, reducing the spin cycle. So on your washing machine, it's reducing the temperature of the water. So we're just reducing the amount of breakages that are happening, washing fuller loads rather than um, half loads. And yeah, that's probably the three key things when it comes to your actual washing machine and microplastics. But yeah, it's pretty scary that they've um, found them in feces. That's what the study, how the study um, concluded. But they actually just found microplastics in fetuses in pregnant women as well so if sorry this is maybe a question you don't have the answer to if they're finding it in your feces is it just going through your system like and not actually having an impact on the human body if you are shitting it out yeah so I don't think that there is any conclusive evidence or scientific kind of research that's been done into the impacts that it's having on us but I think Pretty much people are saying that it's not great. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you wouldn't just eat plastic, so. <laughs> no. <laughs> not very nutritionally beneficial. No. Um, so in terms of around fish and seafood, I mean, I'm a massive fish and seafood eater. I love it. Um, so I'm not going to lie about that. But should we be looking at reducing? And, and I guess what are the benefits of reducing? Is it for us personally for our health or is this by reducing our consumption of seafood, is that helping reduce the amount of plastics in the ocean? 
it would be more for your physical, your personal health yeah. that you would look to do that. Um, but then there's so there's a couple of arguments around kind of how seafood that's ocean, I don't know, o- ocean caught or wild. whatever you would, yeah, wild. There we go, wild, <laughs> wild seafood um, is. It's, it's a really tricky conundrum because you've got wild seafood, which has more microplastics in it than farmed fish, but then farmed fish, you've got a lot of kind of ethical issues. You don't know like how happy those fish were if they've got a lot of diseases, things like that. So that's kind of the different, like you're tossing up between two different evils really. Yeah. And I think I want to sort of emphasize to the listeners here is that it's, again, it's about making choices that feel right for you because like diet like you know if you googled carrots and cancer or like apples and can or you know whatever it is yeah anything you're going to find an association between it like there's nothing that is and the same like sitting at your house you can be bitten by a spider and die like there's so many things that can happen to us as humans and I think that the outcome of this podcast I don't want people walking away and feeling anxious or you know being like oh my god I have to like get rid of everything in my diet and this and this and this it's more so okay where do you draw the line in terms of what do you want to do as opposed to doing everything? And I know we've touched on this a few times, but I think when it comes to, I guess, also the health um, implications is that it is about making an informed choice for the individual um, and whether somebody chooses to consume seafood or not consume seafood, it's likely not going to be the reason that they die um, because they chose seafood or didn't choose seafood, unless you have a seafood exactly. allergy. Yeah, definitely. I would reiterate that a thousand times that it's all about your individual like journey and to not stress to not worry to just do your bit and just pick pick your poison like for me to start with mine was plastic I wanted to reduce as much plastic use as I could and then I decided to look at composting and food waste and then that was the next thing that I did as well like for me Ultimately, when I decided to become a vegetarian, it wasn't just for the planet. It was one third for the planet, one third for animals, and then one third for my physical health. I read a lot of scientific studies and research into it. And I went, yeah, you know what? This is what I want to do. And when I made that choice, it felt right for my body. I didn't crave meat. I was able to get enough protein and iron and everything like that without it. But for some other people, they go vegetarian and their iron levels drop to unhealthy levels. And it's just not right for them. So there's no reason why we should then go, oh, well, you're not as sustainable as me. It's about just not comparing yourselves to one another and just doing what you can and what you want to as well. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, so where can our listeners go to, to learn more about their sustainability journey and what they should do in terms of first steps, if that is the way that they are looking at going? Yep. So definitely come over to banish.com.au. You can follow me on Instagram at banish.au and then also on TikTok, which is just Lottie DL spelt fully, which I'm sure you'll write in the show notes. So I don't need to spell it out. Um, but yeah, it's a, I'd really like to stress. It's a really safe place. We're all about kind of teaching people, educating people. We play bingo every Wednesday, which is about how to recycle properly, do lots of Q and A's about composting. And it's all just about kind of making living sustainably normal. And also like I haven't lost any friends over living more sustainably. I have changed a lot about what I do in my lifestyle, but I still drive a car. I still fly fly in planes. I yeah, I still consume plastic. Like 
I'm not a dirty hippie with dreadlocks and I, I do shave my underarms. Like I do all of that. So I just want to stress that it is normal as well. I very much appreciate your approach on this. I think that it is one that's very relatable and real and honest and something that yeah, like everybody can relate to and be able to go, okay, I'm not going to be also judged for doing these things as well, because I think there can be that stigma associated with, well, if I'm not doing it perfectly, what's the point in trying? One more thing before we do finish off. You did mention earlier about um, third world countries being sort of our largest contributors to these sorts of things. I actually see that as a, um, I guess, probably a barrier for some people to making change in being living in a, in a first world country. So, you know, sitting here in Australia, you might be like, well, what's the point in me making change when, you know, in India, all of this is happening. Do you have any remarks to sort of, uh, sort of finish off with that? I think that it's without kind of alienating anybody here, but I think if you look at it like, oh, well, it's their problem, they can deal with it. I think that that's a very first world approach to it. And I think it's very privileged for somebody to say that where like, oh, well, like in Bali, for example, their beaches are covered in plastic. Whereas if you go to Bondi Beach, there's no plastic at all. It's kind of going, no, well, a lot of Korean beauty products are the ones that actually wash up on Indian shores. So is does that mean that it's India's fault because all of the plastic has floated that way? Like we're all doing something and I think we can all just, we can all pick the level that we want to contribute to living more sustainably. And I think if we're in a privileged position where we have the opportunity to go to a supermarket and to make those purchasing choices, we have money to go online and to purchase brand new clothing that a lot of countries and a lot of people don't have access to, then we could probably take the extra five minutes that it is to, I don't know, choose a plastic free option to choose a item of clothing that was actually made by somebody who's who is paid properly. I think that when it comes to like the divide between the different people, it's women and children in third world countries who are the ones who are going to be hit the hardest by climate change in the long run. But they're also the ones that are probably going to have the least power when it comes to changing climate change and the way that we're going. So I don't think we should go, oh, well, sucks to be you. Let's just let you make the changes. Oh, mm. you have to be using a reusable water bottle in Indian slums. I don't think that that's <laughs> really right. <laughs> no, I, and I agree with you. I think that, you know, if you have the privilege, then use that privilege because people who don't have that privilege obviously can't use that privilege. So it's sort of like taking one for the team and, and helping out people who actually cannot make that decision or that um uh, change for themselves. So I definitely agree. And I think the other thing is that it does put pressure then on the bigger companies, you know, like your Coca-Colas and those sorts of things. If they see all of the first world countries sort of pressuring them to make more sustainable um, products and those sorts of things, then that is where we are going to see the big changes when these big companies start to recognize, well, this is where the pressure is coming from the public. Now we need to make a change. And then that's ultimately what's going to make a change in these third world countries. Exactly. It's all a ripple effect. And I think we're already starting to see research coming out about it. I think it's nine in 10 Australians want to shop sustainably now. And 85% of them want brands to be more transparent with where their products are coming from, where their ingredients are coming from and who makes their clothes. So I think the statistics are there. We're starting to see that. It's even if you're just asking questions, 
it makes a big difference. Mm, I love that. Well, thank you so much, Lottie, for joining us on the podcast. You are an inspiration and I feel so privileged to have you here. Um, And I think that our listeners are going to learn so much from you. And I hope that everybody can jump over to Banish and purchase some sustainable products and learn all about sustainability as well. So thank you for being here. No, thanks so much for having me. It's been nice to kind of weave in my old nutrition and health advice and pop it in with some sustainability as well. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of Off the Record. I feel like I have a lot of homework to go and do and to work on and to improve what I can do from a waste perspective. So I hope you guys have um, got a little bit of thinking and homework to do as a result of this episode. I think it really is a thought-provoking episode and Lottie has so much insight and just comes from such a relatable standpoint when it comes to sustainability. And I think that's really what we need to empower us to make change in this way. Um, Being judgmental and critical, I don't think really empowers people to make a change. So I just love Lottie's approach there. Um, If you love this episode, I would so appreciate if you could share on socials, make sure that you tag me at Marika Day. Uh, And also please make sure that you are following on your podcasting platform of choice, be it Spotify, Apple, or whichever platform you are using. Uh, Follow or subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. Look forward to chatting to you guys next week.